right. today's uh, today's not a good day. Now that was that was tough yesterday, but the 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 report that it could be Roy, and then waiting and then finding out that was a whole man. Yeah, it was, like it, it sucked because I was on my way back from a uh, professional development and I got the the slack notifications about it and I couldn't really do anything I couldn't really read much and essentially like spending 20 minutes driving until I could finally get off the road to uh, you know see if it was true or not and it's just terrible like there there's no good way to put it it's one of those things where you start seeing like these internet rumors pop up and people tweeting like, hey, this plane was registered to Halliday. And, you know, when there, whenever there's some sort of breaking news, a major event, there's always people on the Internet who are sleuthing. And that sleuthing almost always turns out to be wrong initially, whether it's, you know, the, the, the gunman or whatever it is. And like so as I'm seeing people tweeting and the guys in Slack are mentioning it and you're seeing these reports, you're like, come on, like someone be wrong about something here like someone died it's a bad situation regardless but like not Roy someone be wrong about something and then you have the sports director from whatever small station in Florida tweet that we've learned that it's his tail number and you're like okay maybe this guy's an idiot like maybe he's just going off of inner tweets he's seeing that it was his tail number and then another station confirms it and then all you had to do is you look at Halliday's timeline and you see that that was the worst part for I mean, forget about the pictures of his kids and, and coaching baseball, which I was looking through it last night. It's, it's heartbreaking. But you see that for over a year, he's been tweeting about this plane, and you're like, no one else was flying I this have plane. Never like, this seen, was his toy. Yeah, I have never seen anyone so excited about one thing more than Roy on his timeline about that plane. I mean, his like, his dad was a commercial pilot, so there is a... a no, no, dude, that's what I'm saying, though. Yeah. It's like that was the most joyous thing i think like that that was his baby like you could tell like in his post he enjoyed nothing more than being behind the wheel of that plane and like it was so evident like it was it was pure joy and then so you see all of this happiness in his tweets combined with the news that we think is happening and it was like it was it was this weird dichotomy of emotion and rarely do you get like rarely does something happen, and then you have so many images and videos of, you know, the thing, the person that it happened to, with the thing that it happened yeah. in, and you know there was a video, uh, Icon is the company who made the plane. We probably touch on the plane later because there's some interesting bits about you know what it is and what it's not, um, but they had posted a video on October 12th. They took it down, but it was a highly produced, edited. It looked like Roy was like a demo pilot for them. And it was a produced video of him and his wife accepting the plane and his wife saying, I was really against this. You know, I wasn't sure I'm, I was, didn't grow up being comfortable with flight the really? way Roy did. And Damn. yeah, then he, it shows him flying her around. They're in the plane and she's like, Oh, now I love it. This thing's so much fun and I'm excited. Don't tell him. And it's just like, it's so surreal, and it shows him accepting the plane. You see the tail number, his name engraves on it, and it's just like, Jesus Christ. Um, yeah. yeah, sucks. So, I don't, I'm not, you know, I don't know what we do here, but I feel like everyone's got a couple of Roy stories. Um, 
So, you know, I don't yeah, know I think who wants to take is, a swing first. Well, I, th- I think this is a positive thing um, that happens after something tragic like this is we saw it with Darren Dalton. Um, really good people uh, when they pass. Everyone has like these stories about them and and you're kind of hit with this rush of like these memories and you appreciate how good they were. Um, combined with like the impact they had and like we it started with like the Chase Utley one yesterday that I saw just the Instagram about you know the story we've all I think a lot of us have heard about Roy Halladay just covered in sweat at 5.45 in the morning the first day of spring training and Chase is like was it raining when you came in and Roy said no I just got done my workout and how much of a tone setter that was for for Chase and for everybody um I remember where I was when Roy became a Philly. I was um, at a Buffalo Wild Wings in uh, Highlands in Louisville, Kentucky, and I was I was watching sports with my friend Columbo, and he, I actually learned from the bottom line ticker, which I don't even think is possible anymore. And I lost my shit, and I I almost cried uh, in the bar. I was so excited, and. I remember my friend looked at me and said, congratulations on the World Series. And I I remember at that time... Then did time, you get the next update that said they traded Lee to do it? Right, right. Yeah. But I, for me, there was something so validating about getting Roy Halladay because he was always the pitcher that everybody wanted but seemed like he was going to be locked in Toronto for his entire career. And he was just such this. He, he was the incredible pitcher that you saw every few days, like every few days on Sports Center, and you went, "Man, what a stud!" And when the Phillies got him, it just felt like we were it. Like it, it felt like we went from like the ragtag group that did it with Cole and really nobody else to like, "Holy shit, this is the moment!" And every story about him here was amazing and. Uh, the fact that it launched a website, really, like uh, Zoo with Roy, and and became a thing, like it was, he meant a lot to Philly as a free agent signing. And I'm sure I know you guys are going, we'll just all bounce back and forth. But for me, it was a lot with so much of the validation when he got here. It really felt like, oh man. We're, we're a real baseball team now. It really felt like it changed. He was Tommy 2.0. Mm. You know, the tone, that Tommy signing kind of put the fields on the map, and then the Halliday thing was like, oh, wow, we're the Yankees. Yeah. Like different levels. So I, I want to kind of fast forward the clock to uh, to May 29th, 2010. Roy Halliday's pitching down in Miami, and a, a young Russell was uh, studying in Berlin, Germany at the time. And I was out at a, I was out at a bar uh, or a club or something, and I remember getting the notification on my phone that it, it was like four innings of perfect baseball by Roy Halladay. So I'm like, I'm not surprised. And at that point, it's already, I think at that point, it was like one in the morning, two in the morning. The game had just started, so it was probably like 2, 2.30 that I got that notification. Then I get like six innings of perfect game. I'm having a great night. You know, I love Berlin. It's an amazing city. Surprised and, you weren't working look- game one of the Flyers that night. And so I'm... Uh, game one of the Stanley Cup that evening. Oh, no. Uh, no, because I wanted to get back for the end of that game. 
I had a hard time. It, it is really difficult when you're in Europe and a game is, is on at like 3 a.m. for you to stay awake, especially after a, a long day and a long night. And uh, so at one point I said to everybody, look, I got to get back to my to my guest family's house. Like I, I've got to go back and I, I have to check out what Roy's doing. So I get back on, get back home. I'm pulling up. I think I did pull up the Flyers game on one point, and I had uh, there was no accent, like no international access to the Phillies game. So I'm I'm on my phone following like the ESPN game tracker app thing, and I'm watching the Flyers, and every pitch that comes through is like on a I don't know 45 50 second delay on the Game Center app, and we finally get to the ninth inning, and it's I think at that point it's like 4 a.m. in Berlin, and he throws that last out. But we don't know it yet, like those of us who are trying to follow it abroad, because the entire app just kind of froze because it was like eight and two thirds innings perfect. And I'm like, did he do it? Is he dead? Did he throw like did he throw a like, is it a home run? Like what happened? What, what What's going on? And then finally, the like the big tracker across the top says perfect game. And I erupted at 4 a.m. so much so that the host family thought that there was a break in. And that kind of they after I got done explaining to them, uh, like really what a perfect game was in baseball, uh, it kind of made a little bit more sense to them. And it was one of my my favorite moments of uh, of my time abroad was, you know, the Flyers were doing their thing. But out of nowhere, Roy Halladay just totally took over an entire evening of my life. And it's something I'll never forget. I feel like um, I feel like he meant so much kind of to your point, Adam, about validating the Phillies. Like, at the time, the trade was weird because they, they had traded Lee. And you're like, dude, this why? Like, we didn't, we didn't have to do this. We could have had both guys. And obviously, they got them both back a year later. Um, but it was that thing where you're like, man, Halliday is waxing poetic in this press conference about how he wanted to be here. And even though the Phillies had won a World Series and had been in another one and, and w- wouldn't get back to one, it was that 2010 season where it was really like, man, this team is like this. They are becoming a juggernaut. We are becoming a baseball city. And I think Roy symbolized that. And there's probably few guys who have ever lived up to an expectation the way Halliday did. Like if you think about that situation and how good Lee was in the second half of 2009 and his two World Series wins against the Yankees, and you're like, Man, as good as Halliday is, I don't know how he could one up, you know, the guy he's kind of replacing here. And he comes in and throws a perfect game, and then he has an un- incredible season. And then you get into the playoffs, and the guy had never pitched a postseason game. And you're thinking, all right, well, Cliff Lee was all near perfect in the in the postseason last year. What do we got in Halliday? And he goes out and throws a goddamn no hitter. And you're like, gee, like no one has ever had. Yeah, there's been expectations like that, but I don't think anyone's just checked every box along the way he did in that season. And I think his first playoff game, it really was incredible. I mean, and the way he, um, you know, the way he carried himself, the way he just fit right into that team. You know, those guys were all winners on those squads, and the way he just fit right in, and the whole you talked about the fan community and the zoo with Roy thing, like. I had the. I realized my dad texted me last night. We saw four of uh, Halliday's five postseason games in person. Uh, three game ones, and then that game five against Chris Carpenter, which was one of the best games pitched of all time. 
on both sides. It's still, yeah, that game was rough. Um, so I was lucky enough to see that. I was lucky enough to be at the no-hitter. Probably the top sports memory I have. I was at Terry Mulholland's no-hitter on my seventh birthday. Um, wow. You know, but this doesn't, you know, this was a, at another level. But you mentioned the thing about the websites. And, like, that whole, we've talked about this before, but, like, the whole Philly online community, when right. Twitter was really becoming big, it was all built around the Phillies. And you had Zoo with Roy. My site, I, you know, I think I told you guys this, but, like, in 2009, the, the first post I wrote on Crossing Broad was the day they traded for Halliday. Like, I had toyed around with starting really? websites over the years. But that's what motivated you to actually put something out? I had probably had, like, three sites over the previous years, and no one's reading them. And that, that day, I'm like, man, I always wanted to do this. Like, there's so much interest in Philly sports. Let me just try it. And the first thing I wrote was about the le- trading league and signing Halliday and whatever. And I went back and read it last night, and it's terribly written. And, you know, it's you know because it's eight years old one of the first things i wrote for real um but at the same time so i I started the site i did this post and i was like i'm just going to give this a try there's so much interest in the phillies i don't know if you remember facebook at the time um you could create a fan page for anything you know for sausage links so i was like i'm going to create a a, just as a fan a fan page for roy halliday and it just happened to there was like 10 of them it happened to be the one people gravitated towards for whatever reason. And then once one gets like a thousand likes, it you know it just sort of becomes the, the official the, fan page, right? So fast forward, I wind up with like eighty thousand likes on this page for a few months. Um, I'm not pretending you know to be him. It's just hey, like here's stuff about Roy Halladay. So I realize. So then I realize, okay, I have this website I'm starting. It's a lot of it. It's almost entirely about the Phillies at this point. And I have this page with this captive audience. So I start posting links to Crossing Broad on the Halliday page, which pissed off some Phillies bloggers, whatever. But if it wasn't for that, and that got me like my a, a large chunk of my initial traffic and readers were coming from this page because I would post links and they were usually about the Phillies. And it was, you know, you had this captive audience on Facebook. And if it wasn't for that, like there's 0% chance the site would exist today. Because, you know, a bulk of the traffic those first few months was just people who would click these links. And, like, after a while, Facebook reclaimed the page because they started to have, like, you know, that's when people started to get their official Facebook pages and stuff like that. But, like, literally, if it wasn't for that Roy Halliday trade and and that Facebook page, like, the site would not exist. I would not be doing what I'm doing today. And, you know, Roy Halliday had nothing to do with that. Um I think I tried to like give it back to the Phillies or his agent. I reached out to someone like a year later, and then Facebook eventually just reclaimed it. But like literally, my, my livelihood exists be, because of because of his existence in Philly. Um, so this, you know, it's kind of weird to see a post. Your first post you wrote was about trading for the guy, and juxtapose that with the post about his death. So yeah, it's once a guy goes to the playoffs, people forget that his career was defined by not going to the playoffs. Like, he was the great unicorn that never got a chance to play in the postseason. And that no-hitter against the Reds, I mean, that was just, it it was incredible because you couldn't believe it was happening. And also, I had an appreciation for Chooch's play for the final out. Like, I remember having an appreciation that night on how, like, he had to dive to his knees and then throw over the runner. Uh, to to secure that and that hug between those two at the end was so special. Um, 
I rewatched that on I I bought the game a few years ago on iTunes. Oh, and really? I rewatched the last few innings last night and you know, after it happened, they're showing replays of you know the throw and from angles you usually don't see on highlights and how difficult that was, especially the profile yeah. view of that. And he almost threw it high to Howard. They were very, very close to having a very uncomfortable scorer's decision um, if that throws about six inches higher. It was incredible. Like I remember, I remember when that game happened. I'm in college. We're watching it at home, and one of my roommates is a Yankees fan, and. Like, at that point, I think we had 45 people that, like, or no, it wasn't that game. Uh, we had, I guess, the rest of the roommates. We were all Phillies fans. And the last out goes off, and it seriously sounded like we had just won the World Series. And we had been in college when the Phillies, you know, won in 08, and we essentially burned Westchester to the ground. Not we, meaning me, but, like, we, meaning the collective of Westchester. Yes. And uh, and we seriously were, like, jumping up and down like we won the World Series. And our Yankees fan, fr- our Yankees fan friend said, guys, you didn't win the World Series. They're like, no, but Roy just etched himself in in playoff postseason you know, folklore. And he just did a thing that we will never forget. And and it's true. Like, and again, the, some the of the best was, memories we've ever had were brought to game, us by, by Roy. That game was so well-pitched. Yep. Like, I mean, the you could see it from – I was sitting in right field, like first level, like you know, 15 rows behind Worth or whatever – and the only ball that was even hard hit, I think, was the pitcher. And Worth had to come in and make, like, a, a sliding grab. Like, it wasn't scolded, but he, he just sort of inside out at a, a ball and, and yanked or, you know, pushed it into right. And Worth made a sliding grab. But I don't think there's really another play in that game besides the chooch throw of the last out where it was, like, they were even close to making, oh, forget about solid contact because that wasn't it, but, you know, close to even getting a hit. But, I mean, I think the first batter broke his bat. You just go back and watch the highlights and the way the ball uh, is moving out of his hand. It was, I mean, and his only, the reason it wasn't a perfect game because he got squeezed on a walk call in the fifth. He was this close to a perfect game. And I remember some jackass from uh, San Francisco the next day, Tim Lincecum had pitched that day, who, you know, would go on to win the World Series that year. And I guess he had struck out like 13 or something. He was really impressive too. And was trying to make the case that Lincecum was better because he he missed more bats, he had more strikeouts, and it was like this person clearly did not watch what Halliday just did because it was one of the most, I mean, something like seventy nine strikes out of a hundred pitches, something absurd. Um, yeah, it's pretty. Uh, you guys made a point before, and and I do think it's it's worth kind of you know asking, has there ever been a time that you can remember that that a Philly team traded away a beloved player like Cliff Lee was? And the replacement, who you maybe equally thought highly of, or, or even maybe a little bit more so, not only lived up to expectations, but exceeded them in every way. Because I, I honestly cannot think of an instance where we traded somebody away that we liked that much and was essentially erased from our memories, at least temporarily. Yeah, I, 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 I again, I, I'm not sure there is one. I like. It's hard. It's hard to have a better season than what Roy Halladay did in 2010 ever in the history of Philly sports. Like you could probably find a couple, but in terms of individual seasons, 21 wins, a perfect game, a no hitter. You know, it, the short list is is five, and and Halliday's probably on that top five. So if there if there's ever someone you're on a race like that, it it would have been him. Um, I don't know where exactly is a good place to pause here. What but, was, what was the? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, 
real quick, we you know we want to tell you about our friends at Cozy Jewelers. Uh, this is a terrible transition, but um, I want to tell you about the guys at Cozy Jewelers who are sponsoring the podcast uh, and and Anthony Sanfilippo's Flyers content on the website. It's already November eighth, which is wild. I feel like it was yesterday. But I was re- saying it was November first. The holidays are quickly around the corner. Um, all of us will, I'm sure, be buying some sort of some sort of jewelry for a significant other over the next couple of weeks and months. Check out the guys at Cozy Jewelers in Newtown Square and the Edgemont Shopping Center. I was doing a little um, side research. Um, you had mentioned, Russ, that they had a 4.9 on Google reviews. I believe they have a 4.9 or straight up 5 on Yelp. Yep. And it's not just like one or two reviews. There's um, many, many, it's, you know, plenty, large enough sample size on both sites of people um, raving about the service they got there, the quality of the jewelry. Um, but, you know, most importantly, the service and the way they were treated, because you can go into a, a jewelry store and, and not be treated rightly or, or feel like you were wronged. Um, so the folks at Cozy Jewelers have excellent reviews online. Um, they're, in the, they're in the Edgemont Shopping Center. Right now, if you go in there, um, you will get their Black Friday sale if you mention Crossing Broads. 20% off anything in the store. Just walk in, mention the show, the podcast, the website, whatever. They'll know you get 20% off. Uh, they have, they're have a certified Movado watch dealer. I know our sales guy walked out with a couple when he um, you know closed the deal. Uh, if you yourself are interested in closing the deal this winter and have someone you want to propose to, look uh, no further than Cozy for an engagement ring. Uh, if you mention Crossing Broad, you will get $500 off a custom ring, and those guys will walk you through all of the things you need to know about buying an expensive diamond, the four C's, and, and then some. They'll tell you how they source their diamonds. Uh, they're family-owned and operated, local guys, fans and friends of the site and the show. Um, so, you know, they're, they're supporting us and allowing us to do this. But um, please check them out. It's CozyJewelers.com, C-O-Z-Z-I, Jewelers.com. They're in the Edgemont Shopping Center. Tell them Crossing Broad sent you. You'll save 20% or $500 off, uh, off, your, in, off your engagement ring, Mr. Adam. Yeah, I was going to say, you hear that? You hear that, fella? Yeah, I'm hearing it. <laughs> the Movado watches does sound like a deal, though. That's that's what I, I'm trying to find it on their website. Well, because I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm not a, I don't really have a lot of watches, and I need one. Did you get an Apple? Well, I, yeah. yeah. I don't an Apple, an watch Apple Watch is not a watch. It, it's a great watch. Um, but I would, it is I not would a Movado say, watch. I would I say, say I don't want an Apple Watch, but it would just come out a question mark in box. Don't okay. want an Apple Watch. That's rough. You know they're releasing a software update for that, right? Oh, it's I, beautiful. I, I love when Apple products fail. I'll stop. When Apple Apple's failure is a is a is a bug that puts a question mark. Samsung's failure is an exploding phone. Uh, All right, I'll here we it. go. Uh, uh, hey, do you see? Legit. Hey, I saw a consumer report that said that. Uh, on the drop test for the uh, iPhone 10, it shattered every time. First drop. Pretty Gotta sure. be careful. Gonna need Pretty a sure nice, I saw the exact opposite. Gonna need that. a nice case for that. Well, people of, uh, of Twitter, Kyle has yet again put himself open to uh, having articles thrown in his face. Feel free to. All I know is I'm not updating my iPhone 7. Uh, I'm done with this Apple update and then watch my phone break and then have to go get a new one mm-hmm. i'm no longer updating it's not uh, a thing it's the not intentional thing. slowdown kind of no, stuff that they that do also not a thing russ totally is a thing it's I not a thing. a thing when it's you release new software it tends to be more advanced than Here old software so of exactly. course older so devices don't, wanna... don't handle it yeah, as well there you go right so then why would i download it 
Boom. Well, because it, because it's it's largely largely overblown that that happens. Largely. Yeah, but what's the benefit of updating? Well, security is generally one of the main yeah. things. Uh, it fixes bugs like this one, and then generally there there tends to be there's certainly new features in iOS 11 uh, for the bigger updates. But yeah, usually, sounds... a lot of times, it's yeah. security and safety. Uh, security, security, aka slow down software for your older phone. Wink, sure. wink. Sure. I'm not falling just because there's a question mark. I will I will deal with that instead of so my tweets are gonna suck for like the next year it is funny um to me like so we we all sort of sit here and talk about you know how they the baseball player um and as a geek of the of the news who you know i you know rage watch all sorts of breaking news like you know whatever and generally like it it doesn't affect me like i don't like i don't know don't get broken up about things you see in the news. Like you're able to kind of separate what you see and, and stuff like that. Like this one hit home and you know, it, none of us knew him. Um, but the fact that he meant so much to so many people locally, but what really got me was when you started going through his Twitter timeline and you're like, here's a guy who's, who's 40 years old. And I mean, his timeline is, is pictures of him enjoying the thing that killed him. And and maybe the only thing that there was more of than that was him coaching his kids in baseball. Yeah. Yep. Him flying his kids. Yep. Him and his wife and kids. Rescuing dogs. Rescue. Yeah. I mean, here's a guy. Yeah, rescuing puppies uh, while flying. If there's um, one positive from the whole thing, it's that his kids or his wife weren't with him in the plane. That was my. That was I think. What like, was the, the only deal positive. with this plane, Kyle? That you were talking about. So it, I I looked it up a little bit last night. It's in. It's a sport aircraft for, you know, it's a really rich guy toy. It's only like a $200,000 plane, which, I'm you know, I guess for a plane isn't, I don't know, isn't that much. Um, it's a single engine plane that the engine is above the cabin or the cockpit kind of behind you. So it's big selling features. It has this big, expansive, you know, kind of like a Tesla-like view or out all sides. It's you know super quiet. The wings can fold up, so you can basically store it in a garage. If you're rich enough to own a plane, your garage is probably big enough to fit this plane. It's only it's 23 feet long and only eight feet high when it's stored. It's it's tiny. It's super light. It's like 1,500 pounds, um, just above the thing for for the official designation of light aircraft. But they were able to, I guess, campaign the FAA to get it approved as a light aircraft, so people uh, with these sort of like uh, amateur licenses can fly it. It turns out you only need, someone might correct me here, I think it's normally like 80 hours to get some sort of a pilot's license, but it's only 40 flight hours, 40, to fly this, to fly these light sport aircraft like this, which is wild. Now, Halliday had told someone a few years ago they had 800 hours, so he was like well, well above and beyond flying this plane. But it's, you know, it's kind of like, you know, the the Tesla of planes, for for lack of a better description, like just super modern, everything rethought. The dials are very simplistic. Like they kind of went back to the drawing board on how a plane should be. And rich guys love this thing because it's it's fast, it's light, it lands. Not only does it land in water, but it behaves like a jet ski when you're on water. Like it's not just for it doesn't just have buoys for takeoff and landing. Like you could literally drive it in the water. Wow. Um, I mean, it looks like a really cool toy. It's selling f- two of its big safety features. Were that it can't, it it won't go into a free fall spin 
when it stalls. And they actually took a wire. Someone sent me a link to a Wired article from a year ago. This plane just came out like late last year, early this year. There's backwaters oh, wow. for it. And they took this wired reporter up over the Hudson River, and they took the plane straight up until it stalled, which normally that's not where you want to be in an aircraft. Can you imagine being a reporter? Oh, my God. Yeah, I I know. The guy was writing it, and he said, you know, we go up there and we stall. And normally, you know, there's a good chance you start spinning out of control, and, you know, you're you're in a perilous situation when you stall like that. This plane had something with its wings that prevented it. It just sort of, like, hangs there in the air. It prevented it from doing a stall. The engine whirred high enough that it just sort of hovered, like literally hovered. And that was its selling feature, that like it does, if it stalls, you don't go into an uncontrollable spin. It also had a parachute, which I know some modern like single engine planes have. So if, if you lose engine in mid-flight, it literally is supposed to parachute to the ground. Um, no one knows what happened here. You know, was, was, was he trying to, you know, land too hard on the water? Was he doing something on the water? Um, was he doing a touch and go on the water? Because the parachute never deployed. It shouldn't have like stalled in midair and spiraled out of control. But there's very, you know, aviation enthusiasts, Jimmy Buffett, who I'm a fan of, I guess owns one as well. Like aviation enthusiasts love this plane, but it's got a very narrow track record. And from the looks of Halliday's Twitter, he was flying it last year before it was publicly available. He was thanking the CEO. So it looked like he was flying around in their demo aircraft, and certainly they were using him for promotion and gave him one of the first hundred that were made. So this was a very new aircraft with, I guess, highly regarded, but very little track record. Um, and I guess someone had commented on the Facebook post, so take this with a grain of salt on the Florida news station. But they said, yeah, I, I live nearby, and I actually saw this plane flying by. And, you know, he was kind of you know, zipping around and dipping his wings the other day, and it looked like he was having fun up there. And, and that's what this plane is. It's, it's a toy, essentially. Um, but, you know, who, who knows? You know, it was, it's a, I, the article compared it to the motorcycle of airplanes. Like, you take it out for a joyride. And, uh, yeah. Man, it's just a shame. Like, this, this I guess, is kind of the, uh, the transitional phase of life when you have kids, especially young kids. And... You know, like I was initially upset about Roy, and then the first thought I had was was about his his family, especially the kids. And going back through his Twitter timeline, I think is what made me the most emotional and and had me like in full breakdown mode last night. Yeah. And you just you just feel for that family. And you know, like I know it's gonna it's almost therapeutic in a way to talk about all the positive moments of of the guy on the field. And then you see something that like Chase had posted about you know the first time he met Roy. <laughs> He's like dripping sweat at at like five forty five eating breakfast, and Chase said, "Did it rain?" And he goes, "No, I just finished my workout." Like you're gonna get those kind of stories, and they're awesome. And you know, Chooch having his short statement and everything, but then like to see the the joy that he had in in coaching, and to see the joy that he had, you know, in in having a family and having kids, that's the part that <clears throat> that like totally I I think just touches my heart and soul, you know, more than than anything, and it. You know, it's in the grand scheme of things like, yeah, we lost an incredible Philly athlete. We lost what, you know, by all accounts was an incredible teammate. But I think we lost an even better human being. And those kids lost their dad. And it's it's I think what makes it the the worst part of the entire story. And the other thing you see in a lot like in a lot of his tweets, I mean, he's talking about, you know, his kids going to whatever baseball tournament next year, teaching his kid to fly like, you know, those things. You know they they 
kill you. Like, there's so much public stuff out there that he was putting on his Twitter that now in retrospect, they're just, like, just just so hard, so hard to look at. Um, the other, th- like, the thing about him, you know, we all talk about him as a player and stuff, and he was sort of, like, notoriously, not necessarily private, I guess a little bit private, but intense, and you didn't get a lot of Roy Halladay anecdotes other than these little gestures he would do, like, buying Phillies minor leaguers, that Harvey Dorfman book that he used, uh, the mental ABCs of pitching, which was sort of like his Bible. He bought, I guess he showed up to spring training one year and bought all the Phillies prospects. Um, he got all his teammates. I'm looking right now, Nelson Figueroa posting on Twitter, engraved watches of the perfect game. Yeah. Um, he got Roy Halladay. Did you see the message he put on that? Uh, so apparently on the watches he gave to everybody, it was like you were all a part of it. Couldn't have, couldn't have done it without you. There it is. Like, think about that. That's incredible. You have you have a perfect game, and it's Roy Halladay's perfect game. But he went and bought watches for everybody, and said, "No, this is a joint effort." Like that is such a an incredible teammate move. It's very easy to take glory and hold it to oneself, especially in that position. That's just and remember. I mean, the, I think the most visible thing that he ever did that was very similar to that, and it was something that Cole touched on uh, when he was in Philly yesterday doing that press conference, which was almost kind of surreal to see. Yeah, that was, was, that was odd. Was there, I guess he was in the area or whatever. And I, I thought that was actually really, really nice. But, uh, you know, Cole even touched on, I think it was Sports Illustrated, right, right after they had reacquired Cliff Lee. Uh, SI wanted to do the cover about the four aces when they had Oswalt as well and, and, and Cole. And Halliday said no. There are five aces. There are five men on this pitching staff. We're all going to be on there. And got Joe Blanton on the cover. And, you know, Cole said that was one of, that was like just commonplace for Roy. Like, think about it. Like, the, the ego that you have to have as an ace pitcher, I could see, you know, plenty of guys in the game wanting to be the only one on the cover, maybe extending it one or two, but definitely not saying, no, fifth starter is also in this picture, is also part of this cover story. That just, I, I think that just kind of exemplifies every everything that that was good about Roy as a leader. And, and that's all, you know. And that's all the stories. Like to my earlier point, like those are the things you're starting to see come out now. You didn't get them then. Like you got the one he he got um, Carlos Ruiz, an exact replica of the Cy Young. And I watched in that game last night after the no hitter. He answers every question. He, the first question from David Aldridge, who, by the way, gave one of the worst interviews of all time. He had no idea what to say to Halliday after that game. Um, he, the, the first question Halliday like, doesn't even hear and just starts talking about Ruiz changing speeds and, and calling the game like out of nowhere. Um, you have in that shot uh, John Barr, local Philly guy, ESPN reporter, investigative reporter, was doing that game, I don't know, for SportsCenter, for ESPN Radio. He interviewed Halliday next. Um, he tweeted this long thing yesterday, and I know um, John and his wife Ellen used to, um, or his wife Ellen used to produce uh, direct to great sports debate. So I know her a little bit. R- super nice family. He posted this um, long Twitter thread about how when he was leaving the game that night, he was on the phone with his wife and seven year old son, saw Halliday in the tunnel after throwing the no hitter. Said, "Hey, you know, thanks for doing the interview. You know, con- congratulations, something like that." His kid heard him. Said, "Hey, is that Roy?" And he said, I, you know, I broke protocol for one of the first times in my career and asked Halliday if he would pick up the phone and talk to my seven-year-old son after throwing the no-hitter. And he said, Halliday grabs the phone, starts talking baseball with my son. My son starts 
turning into a reporter, asking him questions, and Halliday's there, like, laughing, talking to my seven-year-old son after throwing the no-hitter. And you're getting, like, you're just getting all these, like, little stories about Halliday that I, we had never heard before. And you're getting media guys come out and talk about how he's one of their favorite guys to cover, even though he was kind of quiet, um, you know, like, super respectful and accountable and always available. And... I don't know. There's just so many of these little stories. You know, the fact that him and the the other four aces were still going on vacation together, which we never knew about. Like, it's just the, I don't know. It's just you're hearing, whenever someone dies, obviously you get all these great stories. But I'm kind of surprised at the number and breadth of of these holiday personal stories that people have. And um, I don't know. It's, it sucks. I feel like it's the saddest thing since, like, I don't know. I, I think there's a little bit of a difference between, like, when Dutch died and even like Harry Callis died in this. Yeah. And like with Harry it was it was sudden. Like it was it was the same kind of thing, right? Like a little bit of news was trickling out and it was something that you never expected. Dutch, you know, we knew was sick for a long time. It didn't make it any easier, but I think it, it it's yeah. it's different. And then, you know, and Harry was Roy, also had lived and Harry life, was also, you know. Yeah. yeah. And and then you've got, you know, a guy who's just gone way too soon. And and it it's still it's still a shock. I think today's gonna be a rough one at work between you know like i think most of us will probably say that our formative years as philly fans probably happened somewhere in our early teens and that's that's the group i'm gonna go in and and see today and i'm expecting a lot of uh a lot of holiday shirts and and jerseys i, I think, think it's gonna be a somber what, what, tone. what kills me to listen to all this is like um he would have been a great like old old storyteller it's kind of what it sounds like you know what I mean? Like a 67-year-old dude that, like, um, is, like, sitting there. And I'm just thinking now, like, you know, one day getting, like, the four aces and, and having them sitting around and telling those stories and, um, you know, kind of kind of all not having him there. It just it kind of sounds like all the players still held him in such high regard. And, like, we all... We all know some form of human that lives their life a certain way that we ourselves couldn't live. We just don't have that kind of discipline or that openness. And we all just marvel at them. Like, I, like I'm sure you guys have people in your lives that, that inspire you like that. And it sounds like he was the guy that inspired the elite athletes. Like he was so focused but also so humble and that mix of athleticism and humility, you really don't get a lot, and friendliness. And it sound, it would have been really nice to be able to like just kind of listen to him in that group for years to come. Um, and I feel uh, to, to to that point, I, I yeah. you know, he was trying to get back in the, he was getting in a little bit. He was doing stuff. The Phillies considered him kind of like part of their group in spring training. Um, and I guess he was kind of he has and was planning to, you know, come back for a few days, talk to the young guys, help the young guys out. But he told them like, look, you know, hey, I'm spending a lot of time with my family. I'm coaching my kids' team. I think the Phillies wanted him to be a part of the staff in some capacity, and he was like, no, not now. It may be down the road. I'll get back right. into it. Um, but I, I feel like this is going to be one of those guys now, unfortunately who's going to be more like he's going to be in some port part of like baseball lore as crazy as that sounds. But like, here's this guy, um, you know, who 
I don't know. He 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 wins these Cy Young awards. He throws he throws a postseason no hitter like that. It kind of instantly gets you into that conversation. But he's gone too soon. Like there, you know, as as baseball fans, like we've all seen what you know Willie Mays, and we've seen some of these greats who get you know paraded out at All Star games and stuff. And you know Steve Carlton, who I never saw pitch, but I've I've met. I've got his autograph, like stuff like that. Mike Schmidt, even you know all these guys who aren't part of our generation, but. You know your parents, and as baseball fans, you gotta get to see them and experience them, and occasionally honor them. And it, you know, Halliday's gonna be one of those guys that people talk about, and he's never gonna, he's never gonna be there. Um, you know, this young guy, this this guy who died way too early, doing what he loved. Um, you know, he he's gonna be a story uh, to a lot of people, and it's it's just such a weird thing. Like it's so weird going back and just seeing highlights of him just a few years ago, and to think that, you know, a few a couple years from now, he's gonna be he's going to be a story people tell somebody and and not going to be here like that it's such a weird i don't know it's just so weird it is yeah. it's just surreal let's um let's do a little change of pace rush you went and and checked the itunes and uh, apparently we have some new ones there so we've why got, don't you enlighten us we've got three new ones um my f- <laughs> all right so i i got to start off with this ecvd guy who gave us a three star review it's a nice podcast, but what's with the ripping of Bodner? Uh, did my, Russ rip Bodner? He did. I said, he I did. said something. Say? I in in talking about Kincaid, I said something along the lines of uh, he should spray CB over whatever. I think I said egotistical nonsense Bodner's writing, and and like look, yeah, I, I thought think, that was a little uncalled and, for, Russ. Well, look, I mean, I think this is kind of where we're at in in the media landscape. I think it's it's very common knowledge that. In, on this podcast, I've praised Bodner before. Uh, used to say that he was the, the go-to in Sixers coverage. I've said nice things about Bodner before. I feel like Trump now. Um, but nice guy. Nice I, guy. Think it's, I think it's very fair to point out the fact that a lot of, a lot of articles that Bodner writes are exceedingly long. And I think that like sometimes there's a little bit of ego that goes into writing what I would consider perhaps an unnecessarily long article on the same thing that everybody else is writing about. That, that's all I was really saying. But I was caught up in the moment. I had the NWO music playing. I didn't go all in on Bodner. That was one. He left three stars, which is like the worst thing you can do because it's it's a mediocre <laughs> review by a mediocre reviewer. Um, oh, I've got, man, why yeah, are you I'm going in. Such I'm going on that guy. Yeah, anyway. I'm actually uh, more mad he, about a three-star review than a one-star review. That's what I'm, I'm saying. Yeah. Yep. So DK Cookie 37 said, these guys are the best. Uh, when they're getting off track and making dumb jokes with each other. Best example, talking about third graders in the coal region all dipping tobacco in class just to spit on the brown stained floor. Adam, I'm going to break your heart, but you've been saying Vitae's name wrong the whole time. You're pronouncing it. Yeah, you've been saying Halapuli Vali. That's what this guy said. I was really happy because I said Halapuli Vati Vitae the other day, and somebody stepped up. I said that he enjoys. Adam, with enough conviction, everyone will just think you're right. Uh, By you guys the way, get me excited. It's pronounced, it's pronounced Russell Joy. Stop. And uh, this is my favorite one. This is the one that actually made me smile for the first time since yesterday's awful news. Dale VW posts great four guys. And I'm like, does he think there are four guys or is he just saying it's a great podcast for guys? Kyle, I know where he's comma, going Scott, comma, Adam, and Russ. No. He thinks there are, yes, he thinks there's four of us. Kyle, Scott, Adam, and Russ. 
do I oh, have I a job I talking, talking about the Eagles and Sixers and sometimes mentioning the Flyers and Phils, but maybe that's even too much. I'm down in Virginia slash D.C., so this is the only Philly sports talk I get. Keep it up, gents. And in the uh, review, he also notes that he changed all the S's to Z's in honor of the great Carson Wentz. Uh, that made me really happy. So here's uh, – I'm going to – Russ is going to leave now. I'm I thought he was going to cite one of your alter egos, like underdog I, or somebody. Nope. As the I'm going to I'm going to leave this uh, this podcast in the hands for the rest of the day with Adam, Kyle, and Scott. Don't forget to leave your five star reviews. Don't be a weenie and leave a three star review. Much love. I don't know, I don't know how you screw that one up. Like I, I understand I understand if Adam, you say, hey, you know, cut for Kyle Scott, wrestle Joy or whatever. I get that it sounds. like... I don't like, even say Kyle Scott. Yeah, that's. Yeah, that's weird. I say for Kyle crossing broad. Even, but even if someone says it, I can see how you say it. But like, did, did he not notice there was never a, the only fourth voice was like Russ doing Trump? Scott's really passive. He just <laughs> yes. never wants to just chime in. Just sits just there in the corner, scowling. Yeah, yeah, his hands raised, but he just doesn't want to do it. That's great. Um, I did stay up and watch the Sixers game last night. And uh, I think more importantly in the Sixers game was Brett Brown's post game. I didn't didn't catch it. It's just, he's just, I, I, I tweeted out last night. It is crazy to me that we went through a rebuild for four years and didn't fire our coach. And it's the first time where I've seen a team that has done that. Like, how many NFL teams and and basketball teams have you seen, like, start a rebuild and then after, like, two years, okay, we're going to move on. And it was great because you had all these reporters that have been covering the team this whole time, most of some of them. And then you have this coach. And last night was, like, a huge reflection point for Brett Brown where – um, Pompey even said, like, Brett Brown was being like, well, look, we still need to do this. We still need to do that. And Pompey was like, I understand all that, but you just won on the road and we're up dib- double digits on the road in Utah, a- something you haven't done since 05. Like, this is ridiculous. And Brett's, like, eyes lightened up. And he went, you know what? You're right. That is what we how we need to remember this like this is an incredible thing and don't take my coach speak because he's so he he needs to like keep these kids grounded but it was i mean i i still don't believe these games when i watch them i don't i don't believe in a double digit win i'm waiting for them to blow it or i'm kind of looking around and being like okay this is fluky uh, you know, and they're doing it without Embiid and Dario Saric is going out there and playing that well. And Simmons comes out after the game and goes, that was my worst game I've ever played. And yet it was a stat line in 16-13, 6-3-3 that has never been done by a rookie at that point of their career. And every, everything is effortless and every player is is better because they're playing with him. And... It's, it's absolutely none of the things that we worried about with Ben. His defense has been good. His effort has been constant. His passing has been on point. His shooting is going to get better. Now, Utah kind of played off him a little bit and wanted him to shoot. But he, I, 
I have all the trust in the world that he's going to adopt to this. And he knocked a couple down. It's not. I mean, his yeah shooting line it's, wasn't great, but it's just look. I am. Uh, this is the beginning of a road trip. It's five wins in a row. There's no signs of it if, of it really easing up. Um, I'm debating Saturday whether I want to start like a New York watch party for Sixers fans somewhere and just make it a thing because they're playing the Warriors. Um, and I just feel like it would be a good time to start it. Or if me and, and a friend from high school haven't seen a while, just go to Bleacher Report. Maybe I have a watch party at Bleacher Report and just start inviting people to that office. Because uh, why not? Sure, they'll but, love that. You bring in a couple of kegs. Well, we already have kegs. Oh, even better. Yeah, we already have a bar at the office, and there's food, and there's kegs. What like, kind of beer it, do they have in the bar? Uh, they always try and get like a few different kinds. We have a ton of bottled beer, but then we also have... Uh, I forget what's on the keg right now. It switches. But I've talked to Bleacher Report about hosting of like big watch parties for stuff in the office and try and make it like a fan central thing. They're, they're interested. Um, and that's the advantage of kind of being, uh, an on-air talent there with not a lot of on-air talent is they're, they're kind of more willing to try stuff, but I'm not, a, I'm, I might pitch it. I'm going to see, but man, the Sixers are fucking good. It's great for them to be six and a half point. I think they were six and a half point underdogs, at least some, at some point yesterday afternoon, Without Embiid, yeah, and come out of that with what was it? Double? What was the final score? Was, then they was, won by like eight or nine. One hundred four ninety-seven. So they, I mean, they, you come out fourteen they points over. Seven. Fourteen points over what the line was. Pretty much controlled the whole game in the lead for the whole game. They went through their little second quarter, second quarter, whatever that causes them to cough up every lead they have. It's for some stretch in the second quarter. Has that been happening all season? Oh, yeah. Kevin's been writing about this like every game, and it's like you watch them, and, I, th- you know, they've gotten out, with the exception of that Raptors game, they've gotten out to a, a lead, I think, in every game they've played and, like, ended the first quarter up in, in almost all of them, and then it almost always evaporates in the second quarter, and then they just sort of bounce back in the second half of the game. It's really odd. I don't know if that's something to do with the rotation. I know last night they put in Okafor for a few minutes, and he like promptly got a shot blocked, three fouls, a turnover. Like he was just a mess. Um, mm. I'm not even sure why he was in there. I know Embiid wasn't playing, but it didn't, Holmes Holmes had foul trouble. Um, that guy is is a monster. Um, yeah, I don't. They really impressive. Ben Simmons he struggled to finish a little bit last night, but like you said. To put up to get as a to a guy playing point guard, have thirteen rebounds, to go six assists, three steals and three block. He blocked a three pointer. He was in the paint when the guy started getting into a shooting stance, and he sprints out and taps the ball out of bounds before it releases his hands. Like just his length and speed is is downright scary. Like there was a couple of breakaways. Yeah, that one breakaway dunk. Like he just puts people behind him. It's 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 nuts. Uh, it is. Yeah, that's all I got. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, the Roy thing kind of, you know, it. Uh, I think this is going to be something that sits with a lot of people for multiple days. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think in our world of trans, of our world of uh, transient news and how things come and go, I think that he is a special person. I'm not going to lie. There's a part of me that is, that is a, um, 
you know, I'm a little excited to see all of these stories that are going to be coming to us for the next few days. Yeah. Um, I'm, ex- I'm going to try and read as many as I can. Um, but I, I, I get the feeling that we're going to, in, in the next few days, in the next few weeks and months, because I'm sure a lot more pieces will be done, we're, we're going to grow an even more appreciation for this guy. Because um, there are very few people, I just want to say, that, that really seem to live their life without fault. That every moment they really cherish and they do it with a kind heart and they, they set an example. And I think there's getting less and less of those people. And it truly sounds like that's the kind of human that Roy was. And, um, you know, I'm sure the Phillies will do something for the family and those kids. And I'm sure they'll be involved in the Phillies organization and the Blue Jays organization. And they'll do right by that family. Um, it's It's been a lot of losses in the Phillies family. And, um, look, I... It's interesting, you know, the Eagles and the and the and the Sixers and uh, the, every everybody is it's it's all these like kind of changings of the guard, but I I really hope that next season, whether it's honoring Darren and Roy, um, you know, I don't know if if they get stickers, I don't know how it works. Um, I hope Gabe uh, can can pass along what he meant to them, you know. Um, to, to the Phillies organization, what he was as a, as a baseball player and Gabe can kind of share just as a baseball mind. Um, but I mean, is there, is there anyone on the roster that played with Roy? Uh, I don't know. Has it, has it changed over that quickly? Oh, man. Um, I wouldn't think so. I don't so. think there's been anybody. No. Um, Rupp? Maybe? Wow, I, I don't know. That, that, like you know, you know. So, yeah, that's a good it, question. I don't know, but it's clear a lot of these, you know, a lot of baseball players, especially guys of that age, who were probably coming up through the system or in college oh, or whatever, really looked up to him. But yeah, I mean, what the Phillies do next year? I know Toronto comes to town. I think the Phillies go to Toronto, so there's going to be plenty of opportunity. I saw someone post yesterday. Uh, it was a Blue Jays fan. The Phil should retire his number when Toronto's here, and then Toronto should retire his number uh, 32 in Toronto when the Phils are there. Um, th- that sounds – I think that sounds terrific. Like, I know, you know, sometimes team – you know, you don't want to retire too many numbers because you run out of numbers and you want to really save that. But I can't think of a guy for either team who would be more deserving of having his, his number retired. Um, I mean, he, he should be a Hall of Famer, yes, I assume. Um, yes. You know, is that the, I think Kurt Schilling asked if they did the you know Roberto Clemente exemption and, and just put him in right away. Um, and these are the things like this to me. This is what I was talking about before. I was struggling to put in the words, but it's just weird that we're talking about him as like, you know, the the legend of and the memory of of Roy Halladay. Like not as a person, but just like as a as a baseball player. We're we're talking about you know the the legacy of this great player. Like it just feels so so darn weird to be doing that. So darn weird. But, I mean, all of this pales in comparison to, I mean, his wife and kid. Like, I don't know. Something about me have, I don't know. It's just, just the thought of 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 them and what they're going through um, yeah. and getting that news. Just, like, that's it sucks. That sucks. Yeah. We're going to sit with this for a little bit. 
uh, and it probably will sit with us for longer than that. Uh, we will be back Friday, so of course hit us up on iTunes, and uh, we'll be talking to you on Friday.